You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. More people choose to end their lives at San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge than anywhere else in the world. In his new film, The Bridge, director Eric Steele decided to film the Golden Gate Bridge during daylight hours from two separate locations for all of 2004, recording most of the 24 deaths in that year. Steele also filmed interviews with families and friends of the suicides, with bystanders who witnessed them, and even a few failed attempters. Eric Steele, welcome to Film School. Thank you very much. I hear you were inspired by a New Yorker story, The Jumper. Is is that is that right for this film? Uh, yes. Well, I would say it's sort of two two pieces that came together. The first, I, I witnessed the the World Trade Center's collapse from from my window at home, and I was very aware of the people mm. who had jumped out of the inferno. And when I read in the New Yorker article that more people had picked the Golden Gate Bridge as a place to end their life, it, it made me think that those people too must be sort of jumping out of their own emotional inferno. Is there a, uh, a, a desire on your part to, to try and find uh, something within troubled souls, I guess? It's, it's kind of an open question, but it, is there? Well, I think, you know, the, the, to me, suicide seemed like the darkest corner of, of human existence. I mean, you really can't get much farther along the scale of despair than, than thinking about ending your life. And there was something about these deaths at the Golden Gate Bridge that were taking place at a national monument, a place that we all think of, you know, with sort of reverence, you know, envision it with all of its beauty and glory, and it was taking place in public, um, you know, in broad daylight in front of in front of people all yes. the time. Um, there was something about that that seemed like it would be a window into that dark corner of the human mind. Now, just uh, for the record, uh, everything that you shot was in daylight. Correct. Were there more deaths at night? I was surprised that there were deaths in the day. Well, as far as we know, I mean, we didn't shoot at night, but as far as we could confirm, there was only one one death at night in 2004. And mm-hmm. the, the walkways, the pedestrian walkways are closed at night, so access to the bridge, you'd have to drive your car out onto wow. the bridge and then climb over a series of of rails that separate the roadway from the pedestrian walkway. And I think the, the highway patrolmen, you know, they when they see a traffic obstruction, they they move pretty quickly. So we only had one um, in 2004 that we knew of at night. Yeah. Do, you, do you think there is some theatricality of someone who goes to the bridge? Is there, is there an element of that? Uh, for the, Do they want to be recognized in these final moments of their life? It's hard to say. I think, you know, one of the, one of the young women who we interviewed who had gone to the bridge to end her life and was pulled off, she said, now, there's a lot of rational thought that goes into an act that people think is completely irrational. And I imagine, you know, this is really just, you know, as I imagine it, that people who are thinking about ending their life at the bridge make a list, and on the list it's a beautiful place. You know, it's, um, you know, jumping from that height is almost always fatal. Um, it's incredibly easy to climb over the rail. It's only four feet high. And I think the last piece is probably that they feel like they will be seen. Um, and I think... To some degree, it is, it is about, you know, being seen. I don't know if it's about the theatricality of it, but to me, the idea of being seen comes with this sort of desire to be saved. Yeah. The only way that you 
you know, can be saved on the bridge as if someone pulls you back from the ledge. And the metaphor of that, I think, and the physicality of that is just so strong. Yeah. Then do you think um, the majority of the jumpers did want to be saved? I don't know. It's hard to know. I mean, I think in every act of suicide, there, there is this desire to live. I mean, there's no... It's almost... Uh, I just don't believe that it's a sort of 100% decision. I mean, and I think you know that because more... I think five times as many people try to end their lives as actually do in their lives. And, and that number, you know, seems to be a reflection of this ambivalence. No matter how bad the despair is, there's this other part of you that really wants to keep going. In the film, you um, interview a survivor, and, and as I recall, he says, as he let go of the rail, he said, I want to live. Right, as soon as he let go. Yeah, as soon as he let go. Yeah. And so uh, there has got to be, I mean, I would imagine the dynamic is also, there's this feeling of isolation and hopelessness about your life, and some, and so you feel that... You're going to control this aspect. You're at least going to control your own death. Right. But it, there's got to be this sense that life can be worth living and go on. But uh, yeah, and, you're, and, and I can imagine wanting to be saved is a very strong component of that. And Kevin Hines, the young man who, who did you know, miraculously survive that fall, I think he, if anything, he proves just how much value there is to his life. I mean, today he's you know, this remarkable young man. He's about to finish school. He's got a terrific girlfriend. He and his father... Yeah. You know, are getting along incredibly well. I mean, it just—he's a tireless advocate for the mentally ill. He's just really made it a remarkable life. Yeah, that doesn't mean that I don't have a great deal of empathy for all of the other people whose struggles we talk about in the film. I mean, some of them have been struggling for years and years and years. We're speaking with Eric Steele, and the film is—it's a documentary called *The Bridge*. I want to know a little bit more how the cameras were set up, yeah. and right. and how you—was uh, it just pure luck, or did you did some did you get an instinct for? Who is going to jump? Well, we had two camera locations, one on the north side of the bridge and one on the south side of the bridge. And at each location, there were, there were two cameras. One of those had a very long telephoto lens. The other one was a sort of wide angle, what we call the postcard shot of the bridge, that mm-hmm. pretty much encompassed the whole um, structure of the bridge and the water and the air around it. Um, but with the telephoto, we were able to watch people walking on the bridge. And, you know, we... I guess we, we sort of made in our heads this, these sort of individual profiles of what we thought we were looking for. Every qualification that we made, I think we proved ourselves wrong. I mean, the only thing that seemed to hold any merit was if someone was walking alone. And there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walking alone on that bridge all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the very first person that we saw jump off was a yeah. man who was talking on a cell phone. Yeah and laughing. And, I mean, it just didn't seem to make sense. We filmed hundreds of people crying, and we never once saw someone crying jump off. We, I mean, ah. we saw people riding their bikes out onto the bridge, which seemed like, you know, life must be great if you're riding your bike on the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. And they got off their bridge, and that was the end. There's a certain uh, degree of shock in this film. The funny thing is, I don't really think the, the footage of the people jumping off is all that shocking. I mean, it's very provocative, and it's something that we've never, ever seen, you know, but I, I think in a strange way, the, the part of the, the footage that may be more, more shocking is when you see someone climb up onto the rail, and then you notice in the background that people just walk by, yeah, or yeah. ride their bikes by, or yeah. you know, jog by, and they don't stop. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I found it shocking at all. Like, well, I mean, I, I'll I, tell I don't, you, you know, the, the first one, yeah. The first one, I gasped at the first one. I mean, I knew right. what I was getting into when I went in to see the film, but to watch somebody the first time right. is, is really jarring. 
Right. Now, no, I, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Right. Now the the wide angle. It was. I was watching some of it, and I saw splashes in the water. There were right. a few shots of that, and I thought, you know, that's got to be digitized. But, no, <laughs> but that's all, everything that, is real. We wow. Didn't, we didn't. Um, there's no tricks anywhere. We didn't change the rate of any of the the film. We didn't blow anything up. We didn't do anything. <laughs> what was the effect uh, on the crew? You had the, these people that you were that I, I assume you were manning the camera for. a Right. A lot of the time, but you had other people there manning cameras. Right. What kind of an effect did this have on on them? Well, you know, I think we we uh, before we shot even you know one minute of, of tape, we sat down and talked. And I had a crew of ten people, mostly you know young people who were you know just starting their their careers as camera operators. Some of them you know journalists and filmmakers. And you know we decided that that we were human beings first and filmmakers second, and that. If there was a way to intervene, if we could call um, and help save someone's life, that we would always do that before we, you know, that would take priority over over getting the shot per se. Yeah. And I think knowing that all the time made the routine a little easier. I mean, as soon as we saw someone climb up onto the rail, whether it was you know just as a prank or whether they were really climbing over, the very first thing that we did was hit the speed dial button on our cell phones. Mm-hmm. And contact the bridge, and you know, over the course of the year, we were able to save lives. You were okay, but there were times when we couldn't. You know, if someone was, you know, going climbing over and going off very quickly, we really couldn't do anything. Yeah. And to bear witness to something like that is is indescribably difficult. Yeah. And yeah. I think one of the reasons why I wanted to show it was that I think you need to see it in order to know that it's out there. I mean, that this is really happening. Um, and I think for the crew. You know, we, we stuck together as a group, and, you know, we worked pretty much the same, you know, like regular schedules. Yeah. And so there was, you know, like a buddy system with the person you were working with at the same time. And then, you know, I expected everyone to sort of share with me, you know, how they were feeling. And I kept checking up on people, yeah. and we had barbecue nights one, you know, one night a week, or we'd make hamburgers or pizzas. And I think, you know, we just sort of bonded as a group, and yeah. we were able to respond when people felt like it was too much. We were anticipating something bad to happen and that's right. got to wear you down over over a course of a year. And yeah, and I think the, you know, I mean anyone who's spent time near the bridge in in San Francisco knows that the weather up there is just unbearable. Whatever nice weather they get in San Francisco is usually 20 degrees colder and much windier by the bridge. And so, you know, we were dressed up in all these layers and we were under tents when it was raining and I think it was, you know, it's a very difficult existence. Yeah. Um and it did make all of us contemplate Life and death. I mean, I think that yeah. we spent a lot of time thinking about it and wondering what it is that you know kept people here. And I think it makes all of us appreciate what we had, and you know, and, and sort of feel for the people who don't have that. Yeah. The film is the bridge. We're speaking with Eric Steele, the director. Now, now, when you uh, first of all uh, photographed the people, then you, I'm sure, uh, you went out and, and cataloged who it was. Then you then you talk to relatives and witnesses. Uh, were, were people reluctant to speak to you about this? Um, you know, the the coroner in Marin County is this wonderful man who is faced with the unenviable task of having to, you know, recount these these stories to the families. Of, you know, twenty four people or two dozen people die at the bridge every year, year mm-hmm. after year, and he's been the coroner there for quite a long time. And he, you know, he's gotten very good at at being able to communicate effectively to the families and to the survivors. And I think he was sort of able to gauge for me whether he thought families would be receptive or not. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, I I really only went to the families that he thought would be 
receptive. And then uh, sort of he heard back from them that things had gone well in the interviews and things like that. I think he sort of, you know, lengthened my leash a little bit and said, well, you know, you can contact these people and, and make these you know, approaches yourself. Um, there were some families that wanted nothing to do with this. And there were, you know, people who, who really understood right away that the intent was a good one. And, and, you know, if they could find a way to share their story and spare another family or another friend the sort of suffering and, and puzzlement that they were going through, they, they wanted to help. Was there one of those families that uh, stuck out in your mind as, as being able to uh, adjust to this better than anyone else? You know, I don't think anyone really gets beyond a certain point when it's about suicide. You know, what happens is, you know, you start playing your life in reverse and looking for those what-if moments. Yeah. And, you know, if only I had done this, or if only I had heard this. And I think families and friends find different ways to cope with the conflicting emotions. On the one hand, they love the person, you know, that's lost, but on the other hand, they're angry or they're hurt or yeah. they're, they're sad or confused. And I think, you know, in, in the mix comes often this sense of resignation or acceptance that maybe, you know, people say, oh, maybe they're in a better place. I don't know if anyone really yeah. believes that with all of their heart, but I think it makes it easier for them to communicate about it. You spent a fair amount of time on Gene. Right. Was there something about his story? Uh, he had family, well, fam, extended family and friends talk about him at length. Well, I think what happened, you know, when I was shooting the film when we started in the beginning of the year, this was my first film, and I didn't really know what shape it would ever take. I mean, I knew what kind of footage we had, and I knew what the interviews were giving me, but I didn't know how it would sort of come together. And I remember watching Gene on the bridge for 93 minutes, and I saw him, you know, it was a beautiful sunny day. He yeah. was standing at the south end of the bridge, and, you know, he did pretty much what every or so many tourists do on the bridge. He began to walk from the south side to the north side. He stopped here and there at the different lookouts, and you know, seemed to be enjoying the scenery. His hair was blowing sort of freely across his face. And, um, I mean, I, I have to say I didn't think he had a trouble in the world watching mm -hmm. him, you know. And he walked across to the north side and turned around and walked back. And 93 minutes later, he turned around and sat with his, you know, with his back to the water. And that was about the end. And yeah. there was something about the way I witnessed that and how that, you know, how that affected me that I wanted to share yeah. with with the audience. It just so turned out that his story seemed to have been, you know, one that touched on a lot of other different stories that we we had um, gathered information on. And it just, it became like this thread in a way, his walk back and forth yeah. across the bridge and his ambivalence and his life and his struggles gave structure to some of the other stories that we had. Did you feel suicidal at any point during this? Or did anyone who was working on this uh, this film? Well, I think all of us felt um, felt sad and all of us struggled. I, I don't think, I mean, suicide isn't really something that, you know, just because you see it, you're suddenly contaminated with it. But right. I do think that there were moments when people on the crew felt more despair than than was good for them. And I think they, you know, all of us together, we were sort of our own best judge of that. And, and, you know, some of the people took some time off. Some of the people said, I really don't think I should be at the bridge right now. And then they would come back, you know, when they were feeling a little stronger. Yeah. So, and well, I've got to say, too, this isn't, the film isn't yeah. all about suicide. It, no. it also deals with just the mythic quality of the bridge itself and, mm -hmm. and the iconic status right. of it in our, our lives. And it's, it's, it's beautifully shot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that, the bridge is, is in many ways just such a compelling image. Certainly, 
knowing now that it is the uh, the most popular, if that's the right way to put it. Suicide destination. Suicide right? destination in the country, if not the world. I'm not certain if that's... Is it the world? As far as I know. I mean, I know there are other... There were other they're called um, viral suicide hotspots. Huh. And um, there have been others, but usually the authorities at those places, you know, when they see the problem starting, they... They take action. I mean, at the Empire State Building, as soon as, you know, one or two people jumped off, they put up a fence, Eiffel Tower. Okay, is, is, is that number two, the Eiffel Tower? I'm just kind of uh, curious. At this point, no. I mean, I think uh-huh. they have a fence, so you can't. Uh-huh. It's very difficult to climb over. Um, I, don't, I think, you know, they have places in Japan that are, are um, you know, very difficult. In the United States, I think it would probably be the Chicago metro trains. Um, uh-huh. People... You know, put themselves in front of trains. There's talk about making those pedestrian railings higher to right. prevent this from happening. Where do you stand on that? What do you think? Well, I think it's, I mean, it, it just seems to me that if, if there were a two-mile stretch of road anywhere in this country and two dozen people died on that stretch of road year after year, the people responsible for that stretch of road would feel pretty compelled to, you know, make sure that 24 people didn't die the next year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really inexplicable to me how they don't have a railing. I, you know, I, I'm not sure how many people would be saved at the bridge. I hope, you know, a great many. Um, but I, I also do understand from the bridge authorities' point of view that what we're talking about there is really the end game moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the same as with cancer treatment. If you wait till the very last second when, you know, things are at, at their worst, you don't really have all that much success rate. You could find ways to treat mental illness and disorders and to have, you know, better mental health care and better support systems and understand how the brain worked better. At an earlier stage, we'd probably have a great deal more success. And, you know, there are 24 people who die every year at the bridge, but there's 35,000 people who die, you know, at their own hands in this country every year. Right. And that's twice the number of homicides. Right. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrific film. The film is The Bridge and Eric Steele, the director. Thank you for being here on Film School. Thank you very much for having me. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.